The Fellowship of the Ring by J.R.R. Tolkien Chapter 1 A Long-Expected Party Part 1 When Mr. Bilbo Baggins at Bag Inn announced that he would shortly be celebrating his 111st birthday with the party of special magnificence, there was much talk and excitement in Hobbiton. Bilbo was very rich and very peculiar, and had been the wonder of the Shire for sixty years, ever since his remarkable disappearance and unexpected return. The riches he had brought back from his travels had now become a local legend, and it was popularly believed, whatever the old folk might say, that the hill at Bag Inn was full of tunnels stuffed with treasure. And if that was not enough for fame, there was also his prolonged vigor to marvel at. Time wore on, but it seemed to have little effect on Mr. Baggins. At 90, he was much the same as at 50. At 99, they began to call him well-preserved, but unchanged would have been nearer the mark. There were some that shook their heads and thought this was too much of a good thing. It seemed unfair that anyone should possess, apparently, perpetual youth as well as, reputedly, inexhaustible wealth. It will have to be paid for, they said. Is it natural and trouble will come of it? But so far trouble had not come, and as Mr. Baggins was generous with his money, most people were willing to forgive him his oddities and his good fortune. He remained on visiting terms with his relatives, except of course the Sackville Bagginses, and he had many devoted admirers among the hobbits of poor and unimportant families. But he had no close friends until some of his younger cousins began to grow up. The eldest of these, and Bilbo's favorite, was young Frodo Baggins. When Bilbo was 99, he adopted Frodo as his heir and brought him to live at Bag Inn. And the hopes of the Saxville Bagginses were finally dashed. Bilbo and Frodo happened to have the same birthday, September 22nd. You had better come and live here, Frodo, my lad, said Bilbo one day, and then we can celebrate our birthday parties comfortably together. At that time, Frodo was still in his tweens, as the hobbits call the irresponsible twenties between childhood and coming of age at thirty-three. Twelve more years passed. Each year the Bagginses had given very lively, combined birthday parties at Bag End, but now it was understood that something quite exceptional was being planned for that autumn. Bilbo was going to be eleventy-one, one hundred eleven, a rather curious number, and a very respectable age for a hobbit. The old Took himself had only reached 130, and Frodo was going to be 33, an important number. The date of his coming of age. Tongues began to wag in Hobbiton and Bywater, and rumor of the coming event traveled all over the Shire. The history and character of Mr. Bilbo Baggins became once again the chief topic of conversation, and the older folks suddenly found their reminiscence in welcome demand. No one had a more attentive audience than old Ham Gamgee, commonly known as the Gaffer. He held forth at the Ivy Bush, a small inn on the Bywater Road, and he spoke with some authority, for he attended the garden at Bag Inn for forty years, and had helped old Holman in the same job before that. 
now that he was himself growing old and stiff in the joints, the job was mainly carried on by his youngest son, Sam Gamgee. Both father and son were on very friendly terms with Bilbo and Frodo. They lived on the hill itself, in number three Bagshot Row, just below Bag Inn. A very well-preserved gentle hobbit is Mr. Bilbo, as I've always said, the gaffer declared. With perfect truth, for Bilbo was very polite to him, calling him Master Hamfest and consulting him constantly upon the growing of vegetables. In the matter of roots, especially potatoes, the gaffer was recognized as the leading authority by all in the neighborhood, including himself. But what about this Frodo that lives with him? said old Noakes of Bywater. I didn't see his name, but he's more like half a brandy book, they say. It beats me why any Bagans of Hobbiton should go looking for a wife away there in Buckland, where folk are so queer. No wonder they're queer, put in Daddy Twofoot, the gaffer's next-door neighbor. If they live on the wrong side of the Brandywine River, and ride again in the old forest, that's a dark, bad place, if, if the tales are true. You're right, Dad, said the gaffer. Not that the brandy bucks of Buckland live in the old forest, but they're a queer breed, seemingly. They fool about with boats on that big river, and that isn't natural. Small wonder that trouble came of it, I say. But be that as it may, Mr. Frodo is as nice a young hobbit as you could wish to meet. Very much like Mr. Bilbo, and in more than looks. After all, his father was a Baggins. A decent, respectable hobbit was Mr. Drogo Baggins. There was never much to tell of him, till he was drowned. Drowned? said several voices. They had heard this and other dark rumors before, of course, but hobbits have a passion for family history, and they were ready to hear it again. Well, so they say, said the gaffer. You see, Mr. Drogo, he married poor Miss Primilla Brandybook. She was our Mr. Bilbo's first cousin on the mother's side, her mother being the youngest of the old Took's daughters. And Mr. Drogo was a second cousin. So, Mr. Frodo is his first and second cousin, once removed either way, is the saying is, if you follow me. And Mr. Drogo was staying at Brandy Hall with his father-in-law, old Mr. Gorbaduck, as he often did after his marriage, and being partial to his victuals and old Gorbaduck keeping a mighty generous table. And he went out boating on the Brandywine River, and he and his wife were drowned and poor Mr. Frodo, only a child in all. I've heard they went on the water after dinner in the moonlight, said old Noakes, and it was Drogo's weight to sunk the boat. And I heard she pushed him in, and he pulled her in after him, said Sandyman, the Hobbiton Miller. You shouldn't listen to all you hear, Sandyman, said the gaffer, who did not much like the Miller. There isn't no call to go talking of pushing and pulling. Boats are quite tricky enough for those that sit still without looking further for the cause of trouble. Anyway, there was this Mr. Frodo left an orphan and stranded, as you might say, among those queer Bucklanders, being brought up anyhow in Brandy Hall. A regular warring by all accounts. 
Old Mr. Gorbaduck never had fewer than a couple of hundred relations in the place. Mr. Bilbo never did a kinder deed than when he brought the lad back to live among decent folk. But I reckon it was a nasty knock for those Saxville bargainses. They thought they were going to get big end, that time when he went off and was thought to be dead. And then he comes back and orders them off, and he goes on living and living, and never looking a day older, bless him. And suddenly, he produces an heir, and has all the papers made out proper. Sexfield Bagginses won't never see the inside of Bag End now, or it is to be hoped not. There's a tidy bit of money tucked away up there, I hear, said a stranger, a visitor on business from Mechel Delving in the West Farthing. The top of your hill is full of tunnels packed with chests of gold and silver and jewels by what I've heard. Then you've heard more than I can speak to, answered the gaffer. I know nothing about jewels. Mr. Bilbo is free with his money and there seems no lack of it. I know of no tunnel making. I saw Mr. Bilbo when he came back, a matter of sixty years ago, when I was a lad. I'd not long come prentice to old Horman, him being my dad's cousin, but he had me up at Big Inn helping to keep folk from trampling and trespassing all over the garden while the sale was on. And in the middle of it all, Mr. Bilbo comes up the hill with a pony and some mighty big bags and a couple of chests. I don't doubt they were mostly full of treasure he'd picked up in foreign parts where there'd be mountains of gold, they say. It wasn't enough to fill tunnels, but my lad Sam will know more about that. He's in and out of Bag End, crazy about stories of the old days he is, and he listens to all Mr. Bilbo's tales. Mr. Bilbo has learned him his letters, meaning no harm, mark you, and I hope no harm will come of it. Elves and dragons, I says to him, cabbages and potatoes are better for me and you. Don't go getting mixed up in the business of your betters, or you'll land in trouble too big for you, I says to him. And I might say it to others, he added with a look at the stranger and the miller. But the gaffer did not convince his audience. The legend of Bilbo's wealth was now too firmly fixed in the minds of the younger generation of hobbits. Ah, uh, but he was lightly enough being added to what he brought at first argued the miller, voicing common opinion. He's often away from home. And look at the outlandish folk that visit him. Dwarves coming all night, and that old wandering conjurer, Gandalf and all. You can say what you like, Gaffer, but Baggins a queer place, and its folks are queerer. And you say what you like about what you know no more than you do of boating, Mr. Sandyman retorted the gaffer, disliking the miller even more than usual. If that's a being queer, then we could do with a bit more queerness in these parts. There's some not far away that wouldn't offer a pint of beer to a friend if they lived in a hole with gold walls. But they do things proper at Bag Inn. Our Samwise says that everyone's going to be invited to the party, and there's going to be presents, mark you. Presents for all this very month as is. 
That very month was September, and as fine as you could ask. A day or two later, a rumor, probably started by the knowledgeable Sam, was spread about that there was going to be fireworks. Fireworks, what is more, such as had not been seen in the Shire for nigh on a century. Not indeed since the old Took died. Days passed and the day drew nearer. An odd-looking wagon laden with odd-looking packages rolled into Hobbiton one evening and toiled up to the hill at the bag end. The startled hobbits peered out of lamplit doors to gape at it. It was driven by an outlandish folk, singing strange songs, dwarves with long beards and deep hoods. A few of them remained at Bag Inn. At the end of the second week in September, a cart came in through Bywater from the direction of Brandywine Bridge, in broad daylight. An old man was driving it all alone. He wore a tall, pointed blue hat, a long gray cloak and a silver scarf. He had a long white beard and bushy eyebrows that stuck out beyond the brim of his hat. Small hobbit children ran after the cart all through Hobbiton and right up the hill. It had a cargo of fireworks, as they rightly guessed. At Bilbo's front door, the old man began to unload. There were great bundles of fireworks of all sorts and shapes, each labeled with a large red G and the elf room. That was Gandalf's mark, of course, and the old man was Gandalf the wizard, whose fame in the Shire was due mainly to his skill with fire, smokes, and lights. His real business was far more difficult and dangerous, but the Shire folk knew nothing about it. To them, he was just one of the attractions at the party, hence the excitement of the Hobbit children. G for grand, they shouted, and the old man smiled. They knew him by sight, though he only appeared in Hobbiton occasionally, and never stopped long. But neither they, nor any but the oldest of the elders, had seen one of his firework displays. They now belonged to a legendary past. When the old man, helped by Bilbo and some dwarves, had finished unloading, Bilbo gave a few pennies away. But not a single squib or cracker was forthcoming to the disappointment of the onlookers. Run away now, said Gandalf. You will get plenty when the time comes. Then he disappeared inside with Bilbo, and the door was shut. The young hobbits stared at the door in vain for a while, and then made off, feeling that the day of the party would never come. Inside Baggin, Bilbo and Gandalf were sitting at the open window of a small room, looking out west onto the garden. The late afternoon was bright and peaceful. The flowers glowed red and golden. Snapdragons and sunflowers, nasturtiums trailing all over the turf walls and peeping in at the round windows. How bright your garden looks, said Gandalf. Yes, said Bilbo. I am very fond indeed of it, and of all the dear old Shire. But... I think I need a holiday. You mean to go on with your plan, then? I do. I made up my mind months ago, and I haven't changed it. Very well. It is no good saying any more. Stick to your plan, your whole plan, mind, and I hope it will turn out for the best for you and for all of us. I hope so. Anyway, I mean to enjoy myself on Thursday. 
and have my little joke. Who will laugh, I wonder, said Gandalf, shaking his head. We shall see, said Bilbo. The next day, more carts rolled up the hill, and still more carts. There might have been some grumbling about dealing locally, but that very week orders began to pour out of Bag End for every kind of provision, commodity, or luxury that could be obtained in Hobbiton, or Bywater, or anywhere in the neighborhood. People became enthusiastic, and they began to tick off the days on the calendar, and they watched eagerly for the postman, hoping for invitations. Before long, the invitations began pouring out, and the Hobbiton post office was blocked, and the Bywater post office was snowed under, and voluntary assistant postmen were called for. There was a constant stream of them going up the hill, hearing hundreds of polite variations on thank you, I shall certainly come. A notice appeared on the gate at Bag End, no admittance except on party business. Even those who had, or pretended to have party business, were seldom allowed inside. Bilbo was busy, writing invitations, ticking off answers, packing up presents, and making some private preparations of his own. From the time of Gandalf's arrival, he remained hidden from view. One morning, the hobbit woke to find the large field south of Bilbo's front door, covered with ropes and poles for tents and pavilions. A special entrance was cut into the bank leading to the road, and wide steps and a large white gate were built there. The three hobbit families of Bagshot Row, adjoining the field, were intensely interested and generally envied. Old Gaffer Gamgee stopped, even pretending to work in his garden. The tents began to go up. There was a specially large pavilion, so big that the tree that grew in the field was right inside it and stood proudly near one end, at the head of the chief table. Lanterns were being hung on its branches. More promising still, to the hobbit's minds, an enormous open-air kitchen was erected in the north corner of the field. The draught of cooks from every inn and eating house for miles round arrived to supplement the dwarves and other odd folk that were quartered at Bag End. Excitement rose to its height. Then the weather clouded over. That was on Wednesday, the eve of the party. Anxiety was intense. Then Thursday, September the 22nd, actually dawned. The sun got up clouds vanished, flags were unfurled, and the fun began. Mm-hmm.